for all of you here in the worship center, all of you over in the chapel, anyone who's on a boat somewhere at their cabin watching online, wherever you're at, we're so glad that you have joined us this morning. And we are kicking off a new sermon series called Postcards from the New Testament. You know, with text messages and emails, I think it's a little less common to send postcards today, at least I've found. But I remember as a kid, the excitement of having a family member or a friend go to a very exotic location, finding the perfect postcard, maybe giving a little description on what they were experiencing or what they were eating, and then getting that in the mail. Well, in the New Testament, there are a number of books that are barely a page long. And they often get overlooked, or we don't think they're maybe as important as some of Paul's big letters. And so we thought it would be fun for a couple weeks to dive into these little postcards where we get a glimpse of what the first century church was like and what they were struggling with. Because the church is only a few decades old at the time of these letters. And yet there were tons of challenges, tons of obstacles that I think we can relate to today. And in these short postcards, we learn how they're going to cope and what the most important things are for them to focus on. And what we see too is that they're living in a culture that didn't have a high value on truth and grace. And so they need to be equipped for how they're going to handle all the obstacles. So As you've already gathered from our music, we are going to look at the book of Jude today. And if you're not familiar with it, it is the second to last book of the New Testament. If you make it to Revelation, just rewind a little bit and you'll finally find Jude. Now, this morning, we're going to do a deep dive into Jude, which means if you have a Bible or a Bible app or just get your phone and Google book of Jude, it would be helpful if you could follow along. Now, Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. He is the brother of James, who wrote another letter in the New Testament. And I love to ask the question, what would your brother have to do to convince you that he's the son of God? Now, I have a brother who's eight years younger, and there's no way that he is the son of God. I will never be convinced of that, of course. But Jude and James both believed their brother was the son of God. Not only that, if you read the very first verse of Jude, you see that he describes himself as either a slave or a servant of Jesus. And that might even be a bigger deal to consider yourself a slave or a servant to your own brother. Now again, this is the early church. It's brand new. It's in a fragile state. And Jude is trying to write to Christians so that they are able to handle the obstacles and the distractions and the struggles they're about to face, things that could destroy them. There are false teachers already coming into the church. There are people that are actually listening to these false teachers and turning away from the faith. And so Jude is writing into that context. So let's look at verse 3 in the book of Jude. He says, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. 
This is kind of the big idea, the main idea for what Jude is attempting to do in this short letter. He doesn't want the church, he doesn't want individual believers to be knocked off course, to be negatively impacted or influenced. And you see, if people just sit back and they just coast and they just try to get along, if they don't have their defenses up, Jude knows that they can easily be swayed from the truth of the gospel. So he actually tells the early church and us to contend for the faith. Now, to contend means to fight. It means to be on the offensive, to be ready for what might come at us. So in the very first 16 verses of this letter, he's going to lay out all of these things to be on the lookout for. He lays out the danger of these false teachers, of anyone who's distorting the truth. He describes people who have turned away from the word of God and from Jesus, and he describes who they are and what they look like and what they're all about. But after those 16 verses of warnings and descriptions, he then turns his attention to the church. And what he says is, this is what you now need to do in response. Basically, Christians, you need to have a game plan. If you want to make it through the opposition of what could come at you in any year, whether it's the first century or the 21st century, you need to be ready for what might come. Jude is saying things are hard now, but they're going to get even harder. All throughout scripture, we're told there's going to be deception and there's going to be lies and we need to be aware of them. So you better have a game plan you better be prepared. And so as we look at the second half of the book of Jude, I think there are four parts of a good game plan to be ready to face the opposition. So the first thing we see in verses 17 to 19 is to remember. We must remember the word of God. In verse 17, it says, but you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times, there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. So Jude begins this transition with two words. He says, but you. Now, if you're reading scripture, especially in the letters of the New Testament, when you see those words, it's kind of like a big flag saying, pay close attention. He spent 16 verses just describing the terrain of, of, of all the different opposition. And then he says, but you. Here's your response. Here is what you are to do. You might have also noticed that he calls us dear friends, or the actual Greek word is beloved. He says, but you, beloved. And Jude uses that word, beloved, three times. To be beloved means to be deeply loved and cherished. And it is the exact same word that is used in Jesus' baptism when God speaks over him and says, you are my beloved Son. You see, God considers you and me beloved. 
We are deeply loved and cherished, and that is why God is so concerned about our well-being. So he's saying, but you, beloved, remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ have already said. Remember. Now, the Greek word there means to recall and respond. It's not just remember for the sake of it. It's remember so that you can respond and put it into action. Now, before you remember something, of course, you need to know it and you need to understand it. So all throughout Paul's letters, he calls us to know the truth, know the things of God, know Jesus personally so that we can both remember and that we can respond. So Jude here is saying all of us need to know the scriptures so that you can remember the truth. And not only that, you can respond to it. If you are saturated in the truth of the scriptures, well, then you'll have the right perspective and the right outlook. And the Holy Spirit works with us and through us so that we do remember at the right time. It's when you're in facing a struggle or a situation in life and suddenly scripture comes to your head. It's the Holy Spirit working in us to help us to remember and to respond In John chapter 2, Jesus has gathered his disciples and they're standing in front of the temple. And he tells them that within three days he could tear down the temple and raise it again. He's not just talking about a physical building, he's talking about himself. And this is what it says in John 2, verse 22. He says, after he was raised from the dead, all right, so fast forward to the end of the story. His disciples recalled what he had said, and then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. You see, the key is they were able to remember, they were able to recall, which led them to take action, which meant they believed. It's so important that we know the scriptures so that we can remember and we can respond. Now, in verse 18, he talks about mockers or scoffers. It's just people who are opposed to the gospel. And Peter and Paul, in their letters in the New Testament, frequently talk about people who distort or oppose the gospel. Now, sometimes we might have the tendency to freak out when we encounter someone who is opposed to the gospel. And it's easy to wonder, you know, what could happen? Could this person completely take over and thwart God's plans? Could this person get control and put laws or rules into place that could completely dismantle everything? Now, Jesus gave lots of warnings to his followers about people who would oppose the gospel. Look at John 13, 19. He says, I'm telling you now before it happens. So that when it does happen, what will happen? You will believe that I am who I am. All right? It's no puzzle. It shouldn't be a shock when people in this world oppose the gospel. And Jesus is saying when that happens, our response, because we know the truth of Scripture, is that we then believe and we trust and we have faith. Now, Jesus gave all kinds of warnings 
He was very clear about the struggles we would face. But he tells us our response should be to trust. Now remember also that Jesus very clearly promised that he would build his church. And he says that even the gates of hell will not prevail. And so when we encounter mockers and scoffers and people opposed to the gospel, we don't need to freak out. We just trust that Jesus will do what he said he will do. And finally, in verse 19, don't forget that you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're told again and again to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit. And this is our secret weapon. It's how we will endure and how we will prevail And it's a reminder that we'll never, ever, ever be left alone. Now, this point to remember goes hand in hand with our message from last week, where we talked about finishing well. We talked about the vital importance of being saturated in the message and the story of Jesus. And so my encouragement for you is to sign up for a small group, get involved in a Bible study, maybe Bible study fellowship, women in the word, find any group that gets into scripture together because it's our first and most important part of our game plan. Number two, Jude encourages us then to remain in verses 20 and 21. This is what he says, but you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. In response to any opposition, to any false teachers, your primary job is not to go and try to take them out. No, he says, first, Focus on your own walk with the Lord and encourage others in theirs. Now, of course, there are times to call false things out, to call things that are evil, evil, but don't let that become your primary focus. You know, there are people who get so caught up with arguing and debating on social media that they forget and they neglect their own spiritual health. In Romans 16, Verses 17 to 20, Paul talks about the reality that there will be people who will oppose the gospel. There will be a division throughout the world. And in verse 20, he simply says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Basically, don't worry so much because God has promised to take care of it. Keep your eyes on Jesus and let him take care of the rest. Meanwhile, he says, Jude says, our job is to keep yourself safe in the love of God. Now, if you look at those two verses, 20 and 21, you'll see there are four directions or directives that are given. But one in the Greek is called an essential imperative. That means it's a core command. It means it's of the utmost importance. And that is the word keep. 
He says, keep yourself in the love of God. The other three directions are how we keep ourselves in the love of God. He says, to build, to pray, and to wait. Now, you might be thinking that sounds strange that we should keep ourselves in the love of God. But here's the deal. God's love for you is constant, but he doesn't force you to stay in his love. It's like the story of the prodigal son. The father's love for his son was constant, but the son decided to remove himself from the impact and the influence of his love. It's like when you're filling a cup, you need to keep it under the tap or the spigot. You could remove the cup and you'll no longer receive what is being poured out. And so we're encouraged by Jude to make sure that we are putting ourselves in the position to keep ourselves in the love of God. Now again, Jude tells us there's three ways that we can do this. Number one, build yourself up. Make sure you're growing in your faith. Paul says in Colossians 2, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith. It's possible to receive Christ and to not grow. It's possible to receive Christ and not to be built up. And really, it's a question for every one of us. Are you taking another step in your relationship with Jesus today? Are you standing still? Are you moving forward? Because you cannot coast or plateau in your walk with Jesus. Because when you stop, you're actually moving backwards. It's why one of our core values here at Calvary is that following Jesus is a growing experience. And so Jude says a way to keep yourself in the love of God is by being built up, by growing. Number two, he says, pray in the power of the Spirit. When we are saturated in the Word of God, we need to couple that with prayer. The Holy Spirit guides us and prepares us and reveals God's will to us and helps us to discern our steps. Never underestimate the power of the Spirit living within you. If you want to keep yourself in the love of God, pray in the power of the Spirit. And then number three, Jude says, await the mercy of Jesus. It means to wait with great anticipation and great expectation. Now, it's something I think that we experience when we order something online. I don't know if you're like me at all, but I order something on Amazon and I get the tracking number and I instantly click on it. Like the thing is moved. You know, it's like 15 seconds later, it's still at the warehouse, right? But then I sign up for the text alerts and the email alerts because I want to see where that package is until it arrives at my house. There's great expectation and anticipation. Well, we should have even greater anticipation for the coming of Jesus, for the coming of his kingdom. We should desire more than anything else to be in his presence. You know, I think oftentimes our attitude is, well, you know, I'd like 20, 30, 40 more years here on earth, and then someday, well, then I can go and be with Jesus. But his presence, being with him, is better than anything in this world. 
And so we should have great anticipation and expectation. So Jude is saying, first, you need to be rooted and built up and grounded in God's love. It's, it's like when you're on an airplane and the stewardess comes and says, you know, if there's an emergency, make sure you take care of your own oxygen mass first before you help anyone else, right? And so that's what Jude is saying. Take care of your own spiritual health. And then, number three, he says, recognize in verses 22 and 23. He says, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. As you stay rooted and grounded in Jesus, well then look around at all the people who are drifting and drowning in their life. You know, I think sometimes we see people who are wandering away from their faith and we talk to other people about it. You know, it becomes a topic of gossip. You know, what about so-and-so? Can you believe that that's happening in their life? Isn't it sad? But how often do we actually go talk to them about it? How often do we make an effort to help them in their journey? To go and say, you know, I haven't seen you in church for a while and we miss you. Or I'm worried about your well-being or your spiritual health. You see, Jude is saying when we see people in need, we need to recognize how God is calling us to respond. It's like showing up on the scene of a disaster or an accident. You need to look carefully at how to respond to each person. You need to take an inventory of what the needs are. And Jude is saying, in every case, apply the mercy of God appropriately. You know, sometimes people just need a gentle word, a gentle touch. You know, just a, I'm praying for you and I'm here for you. But he says there's other times that people need to be physically taken out of the flames because they're about to be seriously burned. Now, Jesus, of course, was a master of recognizing what people needed and what they needed to hear. Jesus was perfectly balanced in grace and truth. And it was often the religious elites that he saved his harshest words for. And it was often the greatest sinners and the outcasts that he was incredibly graceful and gentle with. I think sometimes we get nervous that we might offend someone if we say something wrong or we, we come at it in the wrong way. But I don't know about you, I'd rather have someone tackle me than get hit by a car. And so Jude is saying, as you're rooted and grounded and built up in God, recognize the people around you who you can help and you can show the mercy of God. Well, then finally, Paul close, or Jude closes his letter with what's called a doxology. It's a short hymn that can be sung, and it's in verses 24 and 25, where he tells us, rely rely. He says, now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, 
power and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that Jude didn't stop in verse 23, where it's our sole responsibility to keep people in the faith and to keep them safe. Instead, Jude goes on and tells us this vital spiritual truth. He reminds us that God is able to keep us from falling away, or the Greek word is stumbling. The word he uses to describe God's action there means to guard and to watch over. It's actually the same word that's used in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, to describe the shepherds in the Christmas story watching over their flocks by night. That is God's heart and his posture towards us. He watches over and he guards us. And his desire is that he wants to keep us from stumbling and falling away. It means keep us from sinning and falling into disastrous ruin. Jude goes on to say there will be a day when Jesus will present us before God. And because of what Jesus has accomplished, he will present us as blameless and faultless and sinless. It's an incredible promise as we stand before the perfect righteous judge, we will be found innocent, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and because God promises to keep us from stumbling and falling away. Now, you might notice that there's an interesting paradox here in the book of Jude. In one moment, we're told to keep ourselves in the love of God, and yet here it says God will keep us from falling away. And so here is the main idea that I want you to take away today. When you face difficulties in life, when you have questions of faith, remember this truth from the book of Jude. As we hold on to him, he holds on to us. The image that I have is of a little child holding his father's hands. Who is really doing the holding on? I mean, of course, it's the father, right? With the bigger hand and the strength and the wisdom. Yet, what does the father tell the child to do again and again? Hold my hands. As we hold on to him, he holds on to us. So in closing, I love the image that's given by Jesus in John chapter 10, starting with verse 27. He says this, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. And so as a little exercise, a little action, I want to encourage you for a moment to just put your hand in front of you and look at your hand and be reminded of that first promise that Jesus says 
no one can snatch you out of his hands. But it's even better than that. Now put your hand in your other hand because he says no one can snatch you out of his father's hands. You see, what this reminds us is that we are doubly covered and we are doubly protected. And so in this world full of opposition, full of obstacles, full of difficulty, it's going to be okay. Because as we hold on to him, he holds on to us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the truth of your word, even in postcard form. God, we thank you for this reminder today that we have the invitation of a living relationship with you, where as we hold on to you, as we hold on to our Father's hand, you hold on to us and keep us from falling away. And so God, help us to keep on growing and being built up in you. God, help us to recognize the people around us who need a word, who need an action, who need a demonstration of your love. And God, help us to remember that through it all, we can rely on you for all of who we are because you are good and you are graceful and we can trust in you. And so God, we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus and let's all say together, amen.